Welcome to Tiz Talk. Welcome to Tiz Talk. I'm Mary Myers. And I'm Julianne Murphy. This is episode three for the week of the 10th of October 2022. In this episode, Mary talks to Lady Holly Rumbold and Tamsin Murley at the Hatch House Fate. Then Julianne talks through her hydrangea issues with expert Tisbury gardener Rosie Buck. Liz Colcamp brings us what's on in Tisbury this week. And we round off this week's show with some nature ramblings about autumn colours. Enjoy the show. The much-loved Hatch House Fete took place a few weeks ago, raising in the region of £20,000 for the Salisbury Hospice Charity. Mary asked Lady Holly Rumbold how it all began. I used to have a clothes shop in London and we sold um, country, sort of glamorous country clothes and also clothes made um, in Austria and and made um, by English craftsmen. And uh, anyway, we love clothes and we used to have the garden open and hang up a ladder and put a few things on it and that's how, and then it just mushroomed into this huge um, department store, really. (laughs) (laughs) It has got bigger and bigger over the years, hasn't it? How long has it actually been going? It's probably been going on for um, 40 years. 40 years. Yes, yes. And it's here in your home? It is here in my house, yes. Yes. And can you just describe the view and the setting for Well, there's people? a beautiful it's it's a beautiful um, 17th century Dutch walled garden. The house was a 17th century house. Um, what what happened to it in the 18th century we don't know, but there was only half of it left and it had a barn on the side of it and and, and my husband's grandmother used to come from Pit House here to get her eggs because there were chickens running all over the garden. Anyway, it has a beautiful view of the Vale of Warder and um, it, has, it was um, jollied up and um, it turned into a big house again in, the, in 1908 with, um, by the arts and crafts architect Detmar Blow. Uh, that's why you see this facade is all 1908 but of course it looks older right well it is amazing setting we always joined up with the church or with a local charity the uh, red cross we've done it with and we did it with mcmillan but then we found the tisbury team that that supports the salisbury hospice and that has just been a marvelous team because we all live here locally and we all work together and we all really really um, have experienced the hospice care and um, through, through people we know who are dying it's got you know it's got a, a lot of impulsion great so you gather together all these lovely clothes yes. throughout the year yes last year we raised 22 thousand pounds last year was a backlog because it had been cancelled during the pandemic and we decided to go ahead today in spite of the queen's death or and almost because of it because we feel that she would have wanted us to she's just died and i'm sure she had good care when she was dying and it's very important to alleviate pain and distress on both the person who's dying and the family and that's what the hospice does and they have 10 beds we'd like to raise enough money to have more beds in salisbury um in Oddstock, and and uh they do 
residential nursing and uh, daily care for people who are um, dying at home, which supports their families and them. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. So my name's Tamsin Murley. I'm the community fundraiser for Salisbury Hospice Charity and we have a, a large fundraising team. Um, there's about 12 of us but my role is in the community helping people to raise funds and as a charity we aim to raise one and a half million pounds each year to meet the day-to-day -day running costs of the hospice. So we have a, a, fund, a very active fundraising committee who are here in Tisbury who throughout the year put on various events to fundraise for Salisbury Hospice Charity. Um, the committee over the last couple of years have a few members have stepped down so we're always looking for new members, new enthusiastic members to come on board and help the committee to raise funds. I support the committee but we do have a chairman and a secretary of the committee and, and a group of committee members so this is, one, this is the largest event that we put on obviously in conjunction with um, Lady Rumbold who very kindly allows us to hold this here but we have things like we've got a quiz coming up in November in Tisbury we do bridge lunches street collections all sorts of things really we have some people whose specialty is baking some who's organizing putting up marquees that sort of thing but just people with diverse skills who are willing to sort of roll up their sleeves and help us and the committee meetings are in Tisbury they are held in Tisbury at that our secretary's house so it's nice and low Yes, Corinne Conrath and she's the secretary and Jill Roddis is our chairman. Um, the hospice is on the hospital site in Salisbury but we are a separate building and we have 10 inpatient wards and lots of support. We have people who go out into the community, we have therapists, we support hospital wards. It's palliative care. Um, I think lots of people think that of the hospice is somewhere that people go to die. That's actually, obviously, ultimately we are looking um, after patients with a terminal diagnosis but this we can support patients for many years. Um, and it's not just medical support, it's emotional support and, in, and then the family, a bereaved family, we support that family as well. So the, it, the breadth of the support we offer is huge. At any one time we have 10, a 10 bedded ward, however at any one time we're looking at after up to about 180 people in the community. And um, over the course of a year we'll probably look after something like a thousand patients. Great. Well, good luck today and good luck with the charity and thanks very much. Thank you so very much. And if you're interested in volunteering for the Salisbury Hospice Charity's Tisbury Fundraising Committee, contact Tamsin Murley, the fundraiser, on tamsin at salisburyhospicecharity.org and you'll also find that email on our Facebook page. Tis Talk, a podcast from Tisbury on tistalk.buzzsprout.com. Now, here's Julianne with her gardening questions for Rosie Buck. I've got some hydrangeas doing very badly, and I'm wondering whether to move them. I think they're unhappy in the spot they're in. Rosie, do you think this is a good time of year to move plants like hydrangeas around? Yes, yes, it would be a very good time for any kind of lifting and dividing because we've had such a hot summer, you could leave it a little bit longer because obviously what you want is for the soil still to be warm but it to be 
damp so again depending on what your soil is like if it feels like we've had enough moisture now is an ideal time because as I say the soil is still warm the plant can put on a bit of growth with its roots before the winter arrives and before the hydrangea will lose its leaves um, and then it'll be ready to really get going first thing in the spring historically it's always been that you you plant or and you either plant from pots or divide either in the spring or the autumn but there's quite a feeling now with climate change that we're much better off doing all as much of that work as we possibly can in the autumn because we are now tending to get very dry springs more much drier springs than we used to and often quite cold springs and then these very very hot summers which means you have to carry on watering whereas if you can do it now as I say the 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 plant allows itself to establish itself over the winter and can get going next spring. That's fantastic. I'm going to go home right now (laughs) and dig up those sad hydrangeas. Right, my second question, slightly different. I had lupins this summer in pots for the first time. Could I now put them in the garden? What's the chances that they would survive being transferred from a pot to the garden? Will they come back next summer? Or is that the end of my lupins? Um, No, most lupins are perennial, which means that they die back in the winter and then they will, but they will be alive underground and will uh, come back again next year. Um, The one thing about lupins, and I don't know what your garden is like, I don't do very well with lupins here because of the slugs and snails. Um, And because it's so important, we're obviously not killing slugs and snails. I sort of have slightly given up on lupins. But if you can, if you've got a a, a pot of them now, again, would be a very good time of year to plant. It almost seems counterintuitive because things look like they're looking worse and worse. But actually what you're doing is you are investing for them coming back in the spring. Um, And what I would do is either now, but more meaningfully in the spring, would be to put something like um, broken eggshells around them, which the slugs don't like. Um, Sometimes if you really mulch things, that's also good. And there is quite a thought that things might be got by um, very cold weather but again if you put something in the ground the roots are much more protected again than being in a pot so it is actually more likely to survive and if you're at all unsure so even things like dahlias which again people have lifted and stored if you cover them with a good lot of mulch on the top that should protect them over the winter. Thank you and we'll see you again. Pleasure. Good luck. And if you have any gardening issues, like Julianne and me, find Tis Talk on Facebook and leave your gardening question there. Here's what's on in Tisbury from Monday the 10th to Sunday the 16th of October. Well, starting with Monday, why not start the week with a fitness class at the Nada Centre? If you're looking to shape up those bums and tums and tickers and abs this autumn, there are classes Monday to Friday for all ages and abilities. And it's so much fun, you'll forget you're exercising. This is the last week to see and experience an impressive exhibition at Messams in Tisbury of the English sculptor Lawrence Edwards' large-scale bronze figurative sculptures, his smaller maquettes and his studies, which are on display for the first time. Now, on the last night, which is this coming Saturday at 6.30, there is going to be a film screening of the two-year 
Yoxman Project, and that's a documentary about the creation of Edward's monumental 26-foot figure for the Suffolk landscape. So do try and see that exhibition. Um, It's pretty impressive stuff. On Tuesday, if you fancy a social event, well, you'd be well advised to head off to the new Vic at Tisbury for afternoon tea, coffee and scrump delicious home baked cakes. The best you've ever tasted from the fabulous three. That's Marion, Val and Liz. And they're going to be joined by guest speaker Sean Moran, who will be talking about St. John's Church new East Window stained glass project, which is by the artist Thomas Denny, and how every member of the community can become part of it. It's uh, an incredible historic community project. If you'd like to go along, afternoon tea runs from 2.30 to 4.15 in the afternoon inside the Victoria Hall. You've got to hurry. The tickets are £5 and they are going like hotcakes, excuse the pun. So you'll need to book in advance. Call Marion on 870-813. Did you know that walking football is every Wednesday at the NADA Centre from 10 to 11 in the morning? And it's £3 a session, which sounds like good value. You can also chase away the winter blues with the Tisbury Pop-Up Cafe, which is back on Wednesdays at 12 o'clock. It runs fortnightly at the Hinton Hall from 10.30 in the morning till 12 noon. If you didn't manage to catch the Commandery Players' fabulous production of The Merchant of Venice this summer, there's another opportunity to experience the recorded version, which is at 7.30pm this coming Thursday at the New Vic at Tisbury in the Victoria Hall. Don't forget, this coming Friday, the 14th of October, is the submissions deadline for the Wiltshire Life Awards. These are open to local business, groups, or individuals for activities which show creative endeavour, bravery, community spirit, business acumen, and young entrepreneurship and sportsmanship. Entries need to be done online at the Wiltshire Life Awards website, and you need to get them in by this Friday, the 14th. Saturday, the 15th, well, are you up for an early morning walk? You'll have to be up very early to go on this one, which is a deer rutting walk at Melbury Down, It's being organised by Tisbury's Young Nature Watch branch and the walk will be led by Colin Elford. Cost is £2 each, fantastic value, and you can book a place by emailing youngtnhs at gmail.com. Now, if you haven't booked your seat on the Tisbus trip to Clark's Village in Street, On Wednesday, the 19th of October, you need to do it now because seats are limited and it's going to be a great shopping expedition, particularly if you're looking to get those Christmas presents. You need to ring the TISBUS coordinator on 0750080255. And while we're on the topic of TISBUS is looking for more volunteer drivers. Perhaps you can help. Here's Chairman Gordon Sorensen to explain. We now desperately need more volunteer drivers to keep the existing service going and also to help spread the load across as many drivers as possible to keep it fun for everyone involved. So if any of your listeners would like to make a real difference, then volunteering with TISBUS could be the perfect opportunity. They'll need to be aged 21 or over, have a full UK driver's license, and with our help, 
obtain a DBS check. Volunteer drivers can drive as much or as little as suits them. Even a couple of hours here and there would be a big help, and we provide all the necessary training. It would be great if a few of your listeners could stick up their hands to become volunteer drivers. They just need to ring TISBUS or check out the volunteering section on our website. Well, that's all from me. And now we have Tisbury Nature Rambles with Dee Abbott. As the heat of summer slowly gives way to the oncoming winter, I'm noticing a dropping temperature. But October in particular is a great time to take a stroll round Font Hill Lake and see the colours of autumn reflected in its still shimmering pool. It's pleasing to observe the gradual shifting from a summer palette of greens and unripe fruit to yellows, reds, browns of dying leaves, juicy berries and ripe nuts. Perhaps the trees with the most brilliant colours are the maples. Our own native field maple has small leaves that turn a delicate shade of reddish-brown or yellow, and the introduced Norway maples turn a bright yellow in the autumn, while the common sycamore also ends the season yellow. Among our native trees, by far the most common autumn colours are yellows and browns. Beech leaves undergo a gradual change from yellow into a rich shade of orange or yellow-brown before they fall, while oak has golden brown leaves which stay on the tree for a long time before falling. For a more bracing experience, I love to climb the chalk downlands and take in the changing landscape on Wind Green. Then walk along the Oxgrove where in the hedgerow two of our most colourful shrubs can be found, the spindle tree and dogwood. The spindle's bark and twigs are deep green, becoming darker with age, and have light brown corky markings. Twigs are thin and straight and remain an insignificant part for much of the year, until the late summer when its fruits begin to form and are difficult to miss because they have vivid coral pink four-lobe capsules which contain bright orange seeds. Dogwood, a small shrub, has oval leaves and produces small creamy white flowers in early summer, which develop into blackberries by September, and towards the end of autumn, the leaves turn crimson and the shoots blood red. The wood of the dogwood is one of the hardest, and it's said that it was chosen to make the cross on which Jesus Christ was crucified which explains why small religious crosses are still made of dogwood to this day. I'm sure you'll agree autumn is a very beautiful time of year and so easy for us to take it all for granted without really understanding what is going on to bring about this annual change of colour and form. Sunny days but longer, cooler nights than increasing wind and rain cause plant and animal communities to undergo profound changes in their lifestyles. Throughout summer, the life support system of deciduous trees has been the green pigment chlorophyll, which interacts with sunlight to provide the power source to manufacture all the tree's nutrients. And with shorter days and a weakening sun, Trees can't sustain chlorophyll production and the system begins to shut down. The decaying green pigment is replaced by yellow and red, which are more resistant to sunlight than chlorophyll. 
A sudden bout of chill weather after an Indian summer triggers adjustments in the pigment when sap pressure is still high, gilding leaves with especially flamboyant colours. But there is a more radical withdrawal going on. As ground temperatures drop, the root system of trees find it harder to extract water and the leaves are shed so that the tree can reserve its resources. Each leaf stem is sealed off by a special layer of cells and the autumn winds do the rest. So, when you're out walking in woodland enjoying the colours of autumn, take a moment to wonder at the resourcefulness of nature. Oh, I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. We've enjoyed bringing it to you. Next week, what have we got, Julianne? Um, I'll be talking to Daisy, the hypnotherapist. And I'll be talking to Ed from the post office. You can listen every week to a new episode of Tis Talk, and you can find any episode you've missed at tistalk.buzzsprout.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Tis Talk, that's all one word. And also look out for us on the Nextdoor app. So do listen in next week for more stories from Tisbury. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.